1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah.
0: Real love is
2: calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This is his prayer to the Lord. He goes, I'm always with you. I'm not going to leave you. And he says, and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. And he says this, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.
1: God is your source of strength in times of trouble. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he encourages you to lean on the sovereignty of God. No matter whether you're standing upon the mountaintops or finding yourself in the lowest valleys, God is with you. You can trust that He's for you. He's never going to leave or forsake you. Pastor Gary assures you that in Christ, you can find rest for your soul. He will empower you with His Holy Spirit to give you what you need to keep going. Keep trusting Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 12 as he continues his
2: message, The Right Way to See a Wrong World. He's just trying to do what's good and right and honor God, and people are trying to kill him. And all of this starts to weigh on him. And Jeremiah begins to wonder something that many of us wonder when there is evil and injustice in the world, particularly when some of that evil and injustice in the world is directed towards us. And what he ends up doing is he asks common questions. Two questions he asks in chapter 12, verse 1, the end of verse 1 of chapter 12. Here are the two questions that he asks, why does the way of the wicked prosper? And second question, why do all the faithless live at ease? That's what he asks the Lord. Now he's respectful about it with God. He's not questioning God's character, integrity, or intentions here, because he actually begins chapter 12 verse 1 by saying, you are always righteous, O God. You're always righteous when I bring a case before you. So He recognizes that God is just and righteous, but he wonders. It's okay to wonder. He wonders why. He wonders why it seems that the wicked get away with things. And and even at times, they seem to prosper. They don't just get away with stuff. They seem to even, even be doing well in life, while sometimes the righteous suffer. This is, this is what Jeremiah is feeling. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to do what is right, what is good. I'm trying to live a righteous life before the Lord. People are trying to kill me without cause. I'm just trying to warn them. I'm trying to be faithful. They're wanting to murder me. And why is it that they seem to be getting off scot-free? Why is my life under stress? Why am I trying to be killed here? Lord, why aren't you doing something? Any questions, God? The tendency when we don't understand the inequities of life is to begin to transition to self and ask those questions. What about me? And how come my life is not as easy or as good or as cheerful or as successful or whatever as the guy or the lady down the road who doesn't even live for you, Lord? You know, why is this? Why does my life seem to have more distress than somebody who doesn't even live for you or love you? And so he wonders this, and this is the kind of thing that begins to happen often when we encounter these kinds of injustices or inequities, particularly as it becomes directed toward ourselves. And this is where Jeremiah ends up going. He transitions to himself. And in chapter 12 verse 3, the first part of verse 3, he says he says to the Lord he says, "Yet yeah, you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you." In other words, I'm not like these other people. You know I'm better than that. I'm trying to live for your glory. I'm not like they are, and I'm and I'm good with you, Lord. You you know me. You test my thoughts. And then you got to love his raw emotion here. Because the rest of verse 3, in his prayer to God, he says, Why don't you just drag them off like sheep to be butchered? Can you do that for me, Lord? Just, just butcher them. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Okay? And it's just, it's just raw emotion. It's like, Lord, why don't you just take care of these people that are treating me so cruelly? And folks, it is common for us to question God about our difficulties especially when we see someone who doesn't follow the Lord seem to have less difficulties than we. It's common to question the Lord about those things, but it's not necessarily right. So I've titled my teaching today, The Right Way to See a Wrong World. And I'm going to give you five quick points about how do we respond in a world where there are injustices, evil, inequities, and a lot of times it's even directed towards us. And so you can personalize this in whatever way you might be going through things or might have encountered different challenges in your life because I think there's a right way to see a wrong world and our world is wrong. Our world needs Jesus. It needs saving. And and so we live in a fallen world and that's partly uh, the the first point number one for you note takers the righteous and the unrighteous exist together for now and we have to just realize this and and recognize this uh, here's a verse for you taking notes Matthew five forty five in Matthew five forty five Jesus says something that is uh, rich in truth but is often just read and overlooked here's what he says Matthew five forty five God causes his son s u n to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's easy to read that and think, okay, great. What what other spiritual truths do you have for me, Lord? But that's packed with important truths. So I just want to frame this by pulling up a little bit, thirty thousand feet, looking the broader issue about inequities and justice and evil in the world, and try to reconcile help us to understand theologically, biblically, through that lens. You know, why is it that sometimes you know good people suffer? Good is relative. None of us is good. We're all unrighteous before God. We need a Savior. But in terms of just quantifying things, why? Why is it sometimes, you know, good people suffer and bad people seem to get off scot-free? This whole dilemma that we have to reconcile all of this in in our lives and in the world. Um, and, And listen, for purposes of discussion, the Bible does refer to the righteous as those who are following the Lord, love the Lord, committed to him, and the unrighteous who aren't. So so there are terms in the Bible that distinguish between those who are followers of the Lord, love the Lord, yielded their lives to the Lord, and then the unrighteous and the wicked and evil in the world. And the fact of the matter is that the righteous and unrighteous will exist together in our world. And because the righteous and the unrighteous exist together in the world, that means that some of the wonderful benefits of, of God's grace that pour over to the righteous will also spill over to the unrighteous. Because God causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not like you wake up in the morning and the sun only rises in the east in your bedroom. It also is in that of the unrighteous. And and it's not that only your fields get watered when it rains, like God just, you know, only has a cylinder of rain that comes to your backyard. I mean, he's going to water the earth. And therefore, the righteous and the unrighteous will benefit equally often because of the goodness of God and the spillover effect of the goodness of God. Case in point, Sodom and Gomorrah. You have Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, twin cities, evil cities, and you have a righteous family, Lot, living, Lot and his family living in the wicked city of Sodom. And because they were righteous, God was merciful to that family, and thus his mercy spilled over to the whole city. But the moment that family was removed, then his judgment came. But as long as they were in place, God's mercy spilled over to the whole town, not just to one family. They were the indirect recipients of God's blessings directed to that one family. The whole town was. So we need to understand that there, in some ways, because of the righteous in the earth, the unrighteous will also be recipients of God's wonderful grace. But the opposite is true. Thanks to sin and Satan, we now live in a fallen world. This is a corrupt world, an evil world, a wicked world. And therefore, some of the things that go along in a wicked world will rub up against us. We will become tainted by the adversities and challenges and the darkness of the world in which we live. We will be affected by death and disease and betrayal. And all kinds of grievous things that mankind does to mankind. It's inescapable. We share the same space. For now, we coexist together and therefore God's blessings flow over, but also the mess and the sin of a corrupt world, thanks to sin and Satan, are also things that we have to deal with in our lives too. So when we look at our lives and we go, how come some bad things are happening? I thought I was really living for you, Lord. It's the result of living in a world where there's a lot of adversity and challenges and darkness, and it's messy. And there are things that we're going to experience in our lives just because we're still living here in this present world, which is why Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, Jesus Christ our Lord, The Bible's always trying to point us vertically and remind us that when the adversity of this world begins to take its toll on you, remember that you don't belong here. Your citizenship is in heaven and we're only passing through and therefore make the best of your life here now and influence it for the glory of God. But we have to keep our focus on heaven. We have to keep our focus on the Lord. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The reason he sat down was because his work was finished. So that as many as believe him and receive in him, we can have new life in Christ. But even in that, having new life in Christ, we still have to live in a corrupt, fallen world. We will therefore be subject to things in this corrupt, fallen world. Even though we may not be the direct cause of it, we still will be a part of it because we're living in this world. You know, a simple illustration, if there's one smoker in a household, other people will be affected by secondhand smoke because they live in the same household. There's detrimental effects. The same is true of our world. You may not be the direct cause of it. But as a result of living in a fallen world, we might have to suffer some of the adversity of living in a world. The righteous and the unrighteous exist together for now. Help me, Lord, to make a difference while I'm here. Which leads to point number two. Through the challenges we face, God is preparing us for a greater race. Through the challenges we face, God is preparing us for a greater race. Notice in chapter 12, verse 5. This is God's first response to the questions that Jeremiah poses. Again, you know, why, why do the wicked have it so easy? And how come, you know, they get off scot-free? Okay, this is God's response. Chapter 12, verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What? How's that an answer? Here's what God is saying. He's basically saying that the challenges and difficulties we face in life help to strengthen and prepare us for greater plans that God has for us. That's that whole comparative thing there where he says, you know, listen, if if, if you raced with men on foot and, and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? I've got a better race and a bigger purpose for your life that... You aren't prepared for unless you first go through this process which will strengthen you, refine you, and make you of better use for my purposes in your life. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not saying God causes the adversities in order to strengthen and prepare us for greater purposes. I'm saying he uses our adversities and the things that we go through to strengthen and prepare us for more useful service in the kingdom. I'll illustrate it this way. Terry and I went to Oktoberfest in Thurmont, Maryland, where I've been going uh, many years since I was a little kid. But, you know, you get to the point where, as a man, you're like, I've done enough flea markets. Amen, guys? I mean, it's just like, yeah. But you're still going to go because, you know, you love your wife, and and let's just be honest, you want points. And so uh, I said, all right, let's go. And so we went to Oktoberfest. And, uh, and, you know, all these different, it was chaotic. Oh, it was just, you know, like a flea market on steroids. It was just chaotic. But there was one booth that I liked. And this one booth that I just stood at and watched this guy, it was a blacksmith. And he was forging things uh, with wrought iron and making just some beautiful fixtures and, like, uh, candle holders and tools and different things. It was just awesome uh, uh, artistry really there. And so and so he's he's you know, he's got the the tongs and he's got the iron and he's got the hammer and he's banging it out on the anvil and then he'll slide it into the furnace and it's heated up, you know, I had to ask, you know, anywhere from two thousand to thirty five hundred degrees Fahrenheit, depending on what metal you're working with. And so and he brings it back out, it's glowing red hot and then he hammers it some more and he hammers it some more and it and it steals it and it strengthens it but it also allows it in, in its uh, in its form to be shaped until it cools and then it solidifies and so and we, we've all seen this but it was just great watching him in action and I thought to myself this is, ki- is kind of life this is kind of like life you know a lot of heat and pounding heat and pounding you know the motto of a blacksmith is get it hot and hit it hard and that's the way life is sometimes some of you have been going through things and you're like the heat has been hot And the pounding, I've been taking a pounding. But the Lord, you see, is shaping you. And he's going to use you in a more useful way. And he's going to bring something out of that pounding and out of that adversity for his glory. Because that's what he does. He doesn't cause it, but he uses it for his glory. And when we go through the fire and experience that kind of testing, God makes us strong and sturdy and more useful for his greater purposes. Number three. We are accountable just for ourselves. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't play this game. It can be devastating when you try to look at other people's lives. And you go, well, how come they don't? How come they don't? They don't have that problem. I, don't have, that. I have this problem. They don't have that problem. You know, you can, go, you can play that game all day long. And it'll mess with your head. So stop doing that. Life is about you and the Lord. Okay? Now, it's about others and the Lord. And we should care about that only in so much as we can share the gospel and evangelize so that other people can know the Lord too. But otherwise, don't worry about the horizontal. You need to worry about your own heart, your own life with the Lord, and stop worrying about what other people are living like and how they have it. Okay? Because here's what begins to happen. You either will move into the area of pride or resentment, and both of those are sin. You're either going to look at your life and say, man, I got a good compared to these people over here. These, you know, these people don't even know the Lord. And so that's what they get because, they, you know, they're not living with the Lord. And so that they're having all these trouble, you know, and you play that kind of game. That's terrible. Don't do that. And then you can become proud thinking, well, I have it really good. And they don't. And the opposite happens. You look at somebody else. They have it. They seem to have it really good. You're going through a lot and now you resent them. So neither one is good. Don't play the comparison game. Just make sure it's right vertically. Okay, Paul warns us in second Corinthians 10 12. He says when we measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise. So do the wise thing and stop comparing your situation to somebody else's situation. You need to just focus on who you are in the Lord. You need to seek his face. You need to just get your heart and your mind and your attitude right with him and stop worrying about other people and comparing your lives to them. It's not about you and them. It's about you and the Lord. So stop that comparison game. Number four, the unrighteous will be judged in God's time. And I bring this up because some people have a hard time processing all of this because they think that people are getting away with things. Let me tell you something. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything, including ourselves, which is why we need the mercy of the Lord. Otherwise, we would get the just punishment that we deserve. But thanks be to God, because of his mercy, we don't have to suffer what we deserve because God is a forgiving God. But nobody gets by with stuff. Eventually, it will catch up. And God is a righteous judge. He does it for the sake of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, Lord, these people are trying to kill me. Get them. And at the end of chapter 11, verse 23, God says, not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth, but listen, in the year of their punishment. God says, I'm going to handle them, but I'm going to handle them, he says there in chapter 11, 23, in the year of their punishment. In other words, in my time. I'll deal with them in my time. God's judgment is in God's time. And we have a problem in this area because we want the scales of injustice to be balanced now. And we would prefer for God to deal with people who have hurt us now. And we think that if people who do wrong don't get their just punishment now, that they're getting away with something. Nobody is getting away with anything. God sees it and God will judge everything in its time. Hebrews 4 verse 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everybody has to give an account. And God will deal with everybody in his time. So don't worry about somebody's going to get off scot-free. God will take care. Lastly, number five, it's important for us to remember that life is not fair, but God is good. Life is not fair, but God is good. And I mention this as the last point because sometimes the pain of life causes us to think that God is not good. That if he were good, he would have prevented this. He would have stepped in, prevented some difficulty or tragedy or adversity. And God let it happen to me. And so God is not good. This is a lie as old as the Garden of Eden. This is the tactic that Satan used with Adam and Eve. Satan would say to them, God's basically, he said, God's holding back on you. That's why you, eat, you need to eat to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God's holding back. And then if you were to eat that, your eyes would be open. You'd be just like him. So, you know, God's not good. He's holding back on you. Okay, that, that, that's the oldest lie in the book, Literally. And so we need to remember that even though at times life is not fair, God is good. When we talk like this, and I understand, not necessarily to the degree of the pain that some of you have experienced in your life, but I understand it kind of theoretically, when people talk like this and they say, God is not good because if he were, he would have prevented this, and this wouldn't have happened, and that wouldn't have happened, and my husband wouldn't have left me, and I wouldn't have been this, and and I wouldn't have lost my job, and my mom wouldn't have been an alcoholic, and my dad wouldn't, and and we begin to think all these kind of things. Let me tell you, what we're really saying is we want heaven. And this is not it. Not here. What we're really longing for is a world where there is no pain and there is no sorrow and there is no sin and there is no disappointment and there is no betrayal and there is no offense. That's heaven. This is not it yet. And so in Psalm 73, I want to encourage you, if you're really struggling with some of these things we're we're talking about today, go home and read Psalm 73 and meditate on it. I'm going to quote a couple of verses because Psalm 73 deals with this whole subject. Asaph is the one who wrote Psalm 73 and he says in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17, he said, when I tried to understand all this, when I tried to make sense of it, he says, it was oppressive to me. And then he says this, Psalm 73, verse 17, the next verse, when I tried to understand all this, the injustice, the evil, the righteous, the unrighteous, you know, adversity and all He said, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the house of the Lord and I saw their final destiny. He said, when I entered God's house and I got God's perspective and God's heart on this, then I realized God's going to take care of every person who's ever wronged me or every unrighteous person in the earth. That's between God and them. I just know this. I need to seek the Lord. I'm going to go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to get the right perspective. I'm going to get God's heart. And I'm going to be free from the frenzy in my mind concerning all of this. He said, it was oppressive to me when I thought about this. till I entered the house of the Lord. And then I understood their final destiny. And then he adds this in Psalm 73, verses 23 to 26. He says, yet I'm always with you. This is his prayer to the Lord. He goes, I'm always with you. I'm not going to leave you. And he says, and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And he says this, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.
1: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from Jeremiah again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in Jeremiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection.